It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast where we are looking at poverty and missions and all things related to serving the poorest of the poor. Uh, Today on this episode, we are looking at foundations for farming, and it may sound a little bit different. You may hear some animals in the background, maybe even some kids. We're in Nelson, uh, as opposed to our normal recording uh, location in Christchurch. We're on a farm. It's a great place to be to be talking about farming. And uh, I'm Fraser Scott. I'm here with John Flaming, Bright Hope World's Agricultural Director, and uh, Jerry Field, who looks after our partners in Zambia. Say hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you both on a beautiful day here in Nelson. So a a few episodes ago, we talked about the top five ways to address poverty. And Foundations for Farming was uh, one of those ways, one of those things that we see uh, fantastic results from around the world. And John, you would be very, uh, very pleased with me in that I was able to recite from memory, no less in that podcast, what the uh, values were, the, the sort of founding ideas of Foundations for Farming. But uh, today we're going into a little bit more depth to talk about and understand Foundations for Farming. So just just walk us through it. Give us a, a, a really good overview, go into a little bit more depth about uh, what Foundations for Farming is and, and what are the principles that drive it. Well, Foundations for Farming really is a biblically-based way of growing crops, Uh, We often refer to it as an African solution to an African problem because a lot of the methods were developed in Africa, but we have found they actually apply everywhere. So Foundations for Farming really focuses on stewardship, a biblical concept of um, looking after what God has given us, and principally that starts with the soil. And from there, methods have been developed aiming particularly at smallholders. But these methods can be um, scaled up very, very easily. So w- when you say smallholders, you- you're talking there about people who just have a little bit of land that are kind of providing for their family or their extended family. Yes. Um, as an organization ourselves in um, Bright Hope World, we aim for the poorest of the poor. So a lot of our focus is also on subsistence farming but we have great results in some areas and then find that people want to scale it up and and that's why i'm saying it can easily be done the beauty of of foundations for farming we have found that it's it's such a wonderful poverty alleviation tool but since it's so based on the scriptures it's also a wonderful evangelistic tool okay so uh, you know i know i had a uh, bit of a go at remembering remembering what the foundational values were the, the the principles of foundations for farming walk us through those in a bit more depth kind of explain them what, what, what do I learn if I'm a farmer in in Zambia or in Botswana or wherever I'm, I'm doing a foundations for farming course what do I learn what what does it teach me that I don't already know so one of the great things we teach is the life in the soil and how to actually treat soil and that seems self-evident to some of us, but for a lot of people, they have never even considered that. Um, so that's, we, we talk about minimal minimal tillage and um, a number of those sorts of things to, to really make the soil function the way God intended it. So that, that's one of the foundational thing. And then on top of that, we talk about God's blanket, which is talking about mulching. Um, and, and particularly in a lot of dry areas, the effects of that are phenomenal. 
almost miraculous. So un- unpack those two things for me a little bit. First, you said zero tillage. And you've got to understand, I'm about as as uh, much a city boy as anyone could possibly be. So uh, talk about zero tillage, explain that, and, and also God's blanket mulching. Just, just talk a little bit about what those are and how they work. Well, minimal tillage is basically disturb the soil as little as possible. Now, clearly, when you grow crops, you need to disturb the soil to a degree. You've got to get that seed in or, or uh, during harvesting. But apart from that, we... We teach um, about the life in the soil and and how to best preserve that and make that work for you as a farmer. Um, So minimal soil disturbance perhaps is an easier way to express that. When it comes to mulching, um, it's basically covering the soil wherever possible with a blanket of organic material, leafy type material, to preserve moisture in the soil but as well as that over time of course it feeds the soil and that goes against the grain with a lot of farmers they um, particularly in africa they often think that it looks untidy and and that's basically born out of not fully understanding how plant life actually works so in foundations for farming what we teach or how we teach it depends a lot on the people we're dealing with but you can really bring these things across in very simple ways. So it's the minimum tillage or minimal soil disturbance and the mulching. Another thing we're big on is compost. For a lot of people, fertilizer is out of reach or not available. And then compost is just a wonderful thing to use because it builds on the other two. That um, The principles I just explained and um, so teaching them methods of making compost that actually work for them and that really enhance their crop yields. So the, the, the stuff, and again, this is, this is the stuff that sticks in my mind, the on time, at standard, with joy, zero waste. Let's just pause and reflect on the fact that I can still get those right, I think. Did I miss one? Did you have all four? I think so. Oh, good. Talk through each of those. What, what does that mean? And, you know, on time... What does it matter in, in farming and, and at standard? Like, what, what are these things teaching people who are trying to work, work the land? Well, these principles um, apply in every area of life, I believe, but particularly also for farming. Because when we talk um, about these various, various principles of how we farm, we then apply these management principles on time, at standard, without waste and with joy. When we teach those things, each point is again um, expanded on with with scriptures and explained how that actually applies to growing crops. And the more we've been involved with this, the the more we found that the results of applying these principles to farming is huge. And to pick on the one that you asked about on time, in places like Zambia, the, the, the crop yields or the loss of crop yields from putting the crop in late is astounding um, because in these climates where you've got a distinct rainy season, uh, for every day they plant late, they, in the case of maize, lose about 100 kilograms per hectare of yield. Wow. So it is really a huge issue. And these concepts of doing things on time and at standard are in some cultures a big issue. Uh, So it's not only doing it on time, but then also doing it properly and take the time to do it properly. So that's that's, weeding and and, and all the other stuff that you need to do just to keep it maintained and get the best results. Uh, yes, but it starts with preparing your field at, at, at standards that are good. Uh, then uh, even um, planting distances, 
Um, it's all those little details that at the end of the day make a big difference in the crop yield. And crop yield is just such a big issue for these people. So cro- crop yield, again, for the uninitiated, this is just how much stuff you get growing from a, an area of, of land, what, what it produces, whether it's maize or tomatoes or whatever. That's just it's what you have at the end of it that you can eat sell, use for animals, whatever. Yes, that's exactly it. And and uh, in a lot of areas where we operate, the, the main crop would be maize. Uh, and to just give you an idea, the average yield for maize in Africa is still sitting around that one ton of grain per hectare. And we find with foundations for farming that that can be pushed up to very realistically to seven, eight, nine ton. Okay, so you're talking getting seven or eight or nine times as much crop from the same area of land. I mean, that's that's got to be transformative. That's really transformative. And, and um, you know, we've seen this play out in a number of our Brighter World partnerships where people have gone from eating once a day, sometimes even less than that, to eating, eating three times a day and being able to send their children to school and, and, and whatever else their needs may be. Because um, that that is really really transformative. So that's I, I guess that's why we're doing it, isn't it? Is is this gives people the the means, the knowledge, the tools to make the most of what they have to grow a lot more from whatever land they have. And and you know we commented in a previous podcast that in many parts of Africa, land is available, people can use it. Foundations for farming is is coming along and saying you know when you have this bit of land. Here's some techniques that you can use to go from, as you say, eating once or you know a day or not even once a day, to now you can you know feed your family and maybe even sell some stuff as well. Totally, and it, it, it's you really touch on one of those scriptural principles that we teach, and that is being faithful with what you've been given, and that in our way of thinking also means that that little plot of land they have, they should be making as productive as they can. And with these relatively simple techniques, they can really, in a lot of cases, get those kinds of results. And it really is amazing what that does to people and and, and to their communities when they actually start to feed themselves and become self-reliant. Okay, let's let's move to uh, Jerry for a moment. Jerry, I, I, I think it's important that People understand uh, we didn't invent this. This is not a Bright Hope World Production Foundation for Farming. We've taken these principles and this idea and and this approach from somewhere else. Do you want to just talk to us a little bit about where Foundations for Farming comes from? Uh, you know where where it finds its origins, and, and also maybe a little bit of the mindset stuff that that comes through in it. Yeah, well, thanks, Fraser. I mean, we we kind of stumbled across foundations of farming for lack of a better word um, myself and Haley had been in Zambia for a number of years and seen a whole lot of land a whole lot of resource a whole lot of water and we could not understand why people were so hungry and why they could not feed their own families we'd been involved with um, things like orphan programs and sending kids to school and those sorts of things and we were we were a little bit um, stuck for what we were supposed to do to try and help these people and basically, as I said, we it's a long story, but we, we stumbled across Foundations of Farming after praying for, a, for quite a while of how do we, how do we help these people? Because we knew that, that we didn't want to bring like a New Zealand flavour of farming to Africa. Right. Because it, 
it's just not appropriate to be quite honest. And you see a number of uh, projects and things that had happened over the years where that had been started, and because there was so much technology introduced, and the people didn't know how to look after it, that it just falls over. So we we found Foundations Farming, and we were able to talk. Uh, with those guys, and then we went back to Maplehurst Farm and we trialled it ourselves. Now, Foundation Farming itself, it was started in the 1980s by a man called Brian Odereve, and he was a Zimbabwean farmer, he was growing a lot of tobacco, and then he got saved, uh, he found God, or God found him, and he was quite convicted about growing tobacco. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and so he decided to stop that and start growing crops, and of course you'd expect that oh yeah, I've done the right thing, so God will bless us, but that's not how it happened. And he had a number of failures of his crops and thought, well, maybe I need to go back to growing tobacco because at least there was some money in it. But he didn't. And he went to the bush and he cried out. He was pretty humbled by all this, what had happened to him. And he went to the bush and he looked at nature. And as John was talking about before, about the mulch, he saw the mulch that was on top of the soil, protecting the soil and creating life. And he saw that there were no angels driving tractors in the middle of the night trying to, to rip up the ground. <laughs> So, and he thought, well, I'll apply these principles. And he did it um, on a commercial basis and had some amazing results and success in Zimbabwe. But that's not where it stopped because he also had a heart for people. And he wanted to teach the local subsistence farmers how they could farm and what they could do to increase their yields. And the humility of the guy is pretty huge because he actually went back and trained some of the people that were the ones that kicked him off his own farm. Wow. So, I mean, you see the, the transformation this guy and, and some of the things that these guys at Foundations Farming have done. So that, that's really where it all came from, um, and that's what we stumbled across. Now, it's probably worth noting here that uh, we've actually got on our website um, some video interviews with Brian Oderive and, and you know him telling some of the story. Uh, if you are interested in that, it is at brighthopeworld.com forward slash who-foundations.asp or if you can't remember that and heck who can in the links in the podcast uh, that we'll put in the description we will um, put all that information in there so that you can go and see more um, Jerry I know you know I, I've seen uh, John do foundations for farming teaching in Myanmar a few years ago and uh, you know you're actually quite a ways into the training before you actually start talking about farming you know, directly there's a lot about mindsets, and we've talked um, in a previous podcast uh, looking at the nature of poverty, uh, about how people view themselves and they view creation, and that's that's a massive impact on poverty. Uh, talk about some of that mindset stuff that you're having to hit in the places where you're doing this training, really before you start teaching techniques and why is why is all that important well how easy is it for us to change fraser like if you for me not easy at all jerry to be no, honest if someone came and told you that the way you've been doing something your whole life was wrong and you need to do it somehow different would you just go oh yeah okay so it's quite tricky and we're talking about a lot of need for people to understand the reasons for why they have to change their techniques of farming and i mean it, i think it's appropriate to say that you know, Bright Hope World, the, the way that we deal with people is we, we go alongside them to help them achieve their vision. And a number of our partners are always wanting to do farming, and that's why we got involved in this. Uh, so it is their vision, it's their idea, it's not us bringing our solution to their problems. And as Yeah, that's a, I was, I was going to say, that's a really good point, because there will be people listening to this saying, heck, you know, you've got hundreds or thousands of years of knowledge of the land, and here are you white boys going over to Africa and saying, hey, no, you guys are doing it wrong. 
uh, you need to do it like this. Like, you know, this this other white boy from Zimbabwe came up and that's going to, that's potentially going to, you know, not sit well with people. So talk to that. I mean, you know, how does this work? How do we avoid that? Well, as we said, like we were trained by them in the first instance and Brian Oderive would say himself that he was so humbled the way that he was farming and he knew it was wrong and he asked God to show him, so God did. So it's not from us. And I, I well know the way that we found foundations for farming was nothing to do with me. I had a, a, a pretty bad day, actually, when I, when I, we found foundations farming. And it was, I know that for a fact that God led us to this thing. And it, it is. And it's, it's using what they have. Like we're not trying to go and give anything else that they haven't got already. We don't want to give them technology. Don't want to give them big tools. We want to just let them be able to be faithful with what they have. But to do that, there has to be that mindset change because you talk about poverty and how ingrained that it is that sometimes these people, they think they're poor and there's no way out. So that's some of the things that you have to try and help them to address. And of course, for us, um, we have these quite deep relationships with our Bright Hope partners. So our, our goal has always been to train our Bright Hope partners and then, and then for them to go to their, their own villages and to trial these things and then teach their own communities. So it's actually not us going into communities and teaching them. We're teaching the trainers. So we're training the trainers. Training the trainers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is really key because, yeah, I, I think if we tried to go in and train the villagers, I don't think the impact will be anywhere near what it has been. And, I mean, you talk about mindset. I mean, the Bible talks about uh, being renewed by the, the transforming of your mind. And as you've said, the, some of these methods are not uh, a difficult thing to understand. But it is really hard to change. And I, I remember when we first trained the Bright Oak Partners in that first year, which I think was 2009, and they went away very excited about what they were going to do in their villages. But their first year, as you, you heard John say before, normally they get one tonne per hectare and they should be getting seven, eight, nine times that. Well, they doubled the yield to two tonne. And I was extremely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, Rob Perdue told me off because he said, well, they've doubled their yield. That's a, uh, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. But there was a lot of reasons why they didn't do things. And a couple of examples I'll just touch on is, like, they like to grow a very big field. There's lots of land in Africa. So, well, in Zambia, sorry, not in all of Africa, but in Zambia. So they like to grow a big field, and it's too big for them to manage. So they do it quite poorly, not on time, not at standard, not without waste, and not with a lot of joy, because the yield they get is quite small. So we're always telling them, look, do a small field and do it really, really well, which to us makes sense. But to them, their thinking is, if I do a big field and it fails, I'll get a little bit of something. Yeah. If I do a small field and it fails, I'm going to get nothing. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that really strikes me about this is for us, if, if we try you know, a different business, a, a different approach or, you know, a different way of working the land and it doesn't work. And we say, oh, well, you know, I guess that was, that didn't work. I know, you know, I can see out of the window here, you're growing raspberries and I know that's been a, an up and down process for you, Jerry. But I guess the difference is if their crops fail, their family starts, the stakes are pretty high. You're asking an awful lot of these people to do something different on their farms, aren't you? Yes, we are. And that's why we do tell them in that first year, just try a small piece Keep doing what you're doing in the other land and try a small piece and just see if it works. Because they need to see. I mean, you're right in, in terms of these couple of white boys coming on and teaching people. Well, why why should they trust us? So go and test it, is what we always say. Go and test it and, and see that what we're saying is correct. 
because you don't know us that you know some of them don't know us that well so especially in the villages so so that that's a big key to it so getting them to actually see and understand that their mind needs to change about some of the ways that they think about things is really key uh, another example just quickly is a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say my crop this year is going to be better and I'll say oh, why is that and they say oh god willing it will be better and I'll ask them well but why and they'll say oh well, just because God wills it. And I'll say, well, what are you going to do different in your land this year to mean that you're going to get a better crop than last year? Oh, well, nothing. So there's those sorts of things, again, where unless there's some change in their mind and the way they think about things, then the hands don't change either. So mindsets became quite key in some of the things that we were teaching. All right, let's take a, a little break there, and then we will come back and... Uh, we'll discuss some of the, the real life stories. This is the bit that I, I really like is, is really getting down into the dirt, if you'll forgive me, and, and understanding the difference that foundation uh, for farming foundations for farming has made in some of the places that we work. Uh, we will be back in just a moment. It Ain't That Simple Mate is brought to you by Lamai Coffee. Lamai Coffee is the finest quality organic Arabica coffee from the northern hills of Thailand. We at Bright Hope World import the green beans into New Zealand and we roast them to perfection, then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers. We're all volunteers on the team, so all the profits go back into great community projects in Thailand. And that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness. You can order Lamai coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz. It ain't that simple, mate. Welcome back to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast, where today we are in sunny Nelson in the South Island of New Zealand, and we are talking all about Foundations for Farming, a fantastic program that uh, Bright Hope World uses quite extensively, particularly in Africa, to help uh, train people to uh, increase their crop yields and uh, use the land more sustainably and effectively to support their families and communities. It is fantastic. It makes a real difference. And uh, John, it'd be great to, to hear from your perspective. I know you've done a lot of this training. It'd be great to pick you know, a few of the ones where you've seen a real difference be made and, and share some of those stories with us. Um, you know, we're, we're talking up this program what does it look like on the ground when it really works? What what sort of difference does it make? Give us a sense of the magnitude of this. Well, I really like how you put that question because the reality at the end of the day is that it's their problem and it's up to them to affect change, going back to the mindsets that Jerry just talked about. Where it works particularly well is where we find people really grasping the ideas and, and implementing them. And as Jerry just mentioned, we seek to train trainers. And one place where we have seen it work really well is in Kenya. We've got a couple of local guys that have been training in the villages for years now and have seen numerous communities transformed through gr getting much bigger crop yields. And it, it's really exciting for me when I go back there now to go with these guys and see the impact Foundations for Farming is having on the ground. But the key to it was that 
these guys really saw the um, the outworking of using these methods and and after using it themselves go out there and 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 teach this to others so our role is actually a very simple and and small one in reality and that's just giving them the tools and 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 the training and when you see in these villages the impact it has when people indeed go from the on average one ton per hectare yield to seven or higher and that usually takes a year or two or three or four uh, but they do get there and and as Jerry said earlier in the early days of foundations for farming in our experience uh, we were a bit disappointed with the doubling of crop crop yields the other problem with doubling is that it, it it sounds great and it is great and it is significant it's just that very often unless people measure their yields it may not be spectacular enough for them to appreciate how big that even is but once you talk sevenfold there's no escaping the result people really notice they yeah. notice all right and 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 that is just um, such an encouragement for us but also for our local trainers um, you know so you got People like Mr. Ogembo and, and Kilel that go out, you know, to their tribal areas and, and, and give this training. Uh, it is really exciting to see the change. And, and um, you know, then, of course, we, um, we talked a little in the first section about scaling it up. Uh, sometimes we get unforeseen consequences. Like in one area that springs to mind in Kenya, the results were so spectacular that some of our guys got complaints because what it had done, it had dropped the price of maize in that right, area. Because the supply was so much greater. The, the, the supply was so much greater. And, 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 and of course, from our point of view, that was a huge positive because we are about alleviating poverty. We seek to help the poorest of the poor. And I don't lose any sleep about a merchant complaining that the price of maize had dropped if it means that people are actually eating. So it, it, um, it, it's great when you see that happen, but at the same time, um, I started answering your question by saying, so sometimes we see very little result because people have been corrupted by handouts and find it a lot easier to just get some handouts rather than farm their, their, you know, their land. I recall hearing a story, and I think it was in Zimbabwe, where there had been foundations for farming, and it might have been a sort of an early version thereof, uh, and the people had started to farm, but then a an international organisation had started to do food drops. The people that abandoned their farm and and you know went with the food handouts, which then uh, you know over a period of a year or so disappeared, and then of course people didn't have the farms to go back to, and it made the situation a lot worse. Is you know how big of an is- issue is that where people would rather you know, I guess it's quite, it's sort of human nature, isn't it? It's easier to go and get the, the free food package rather than farm your own. Is, is that a big deal in Africa? That's a huge deal. And, and even in my own experience, on one of my recent trips to Uganda, I, I came across this issue. So many non-government organizations pay people to come to their trainings or um, whatever it is they're doing in the community. So... I'm not blaming these local poor people for this problem. It, it, it's a problem that we as Westerners have created. So people expect handouts. We don't do that. So we sometimes come up against this when people sort of say to us, well, what are you giving us? And sort of, well, I'm giving you tools to 
to work your land, to be faithful with what God gave you. Well, I know yeah, we, we've had at least some of, you know, when we've done foundations for farming training and, and the people want to be paid to come and um, receive the training, which is, is, is a little bit odd. I, I know that uh, your perspective, and, and we share it, John, is uh, no. No, we're trying to help you out here. We're not going to pay you to come in and receive the training. No, and then what you then see is that some will walk away, and so be it. But we also see that some see through that and start to get their head around that they got to own the problem, they got to own the solution. And then you get back to Jerry's mindset issues. Then you get into a situation where people are willing to learn and willing to change. And then you can see spec results because they start to see their land, their soil, as a gift from God rather than, oh, here I am, I'm poor, give me stuff. Um, they start to take responsibility, start to understand the riches they actually have, the things they have in their hands, to use that picture of Moses and his staff, and, and start to be faithful with it. And, and then if that process starts with the one ton becomes seven tons, People get very excited. And to go back to these two brothers that I mentioned in Kenya, it is so exciting when you see the people that they have trained have such good yields that their neighbors start to, to look at their fields and say, what are you doing different? And, 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 and so it spreads. And it can spread very rapidly once that starts to happen. And you know, isn't it true that there are places where we have done foundations for farming training where you know it's four or five generations of people, we we really don't have any idea how far this has gone in some places. No, well, a, a, an unbelievable example of that I saw in a, a refugee refugee camp in in Uganda, where we were actually going to visit a guy who had been trained by people we had trained, and while walking through this refugee camp, we came across a guy who had just been to the market selling his stuff. And he was, in training terms, I think fourth or fifth generation, if I can put it that oh, way. Wow. And he had just made a hundred US dollars the week before from his tomatoes. And yeah, you know, I was on cloud nine when I came away from there because that shows what can happen if if people take this on board and and start to learn from each other. And that can only happen when people get trained by local people. Jerry. You uh, lived in Zambia for a number of years and ran a farm there and have uh, had you know quite a lot to do with foundations for farming in Zambia. I know you've trained plenty of uh, of the partners in Zambia. Let, let's start, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing you talk about other places as well, but let's start in Zambia. What kind of impact has foundations for farming had in Zambia? Yeah, well, Fraser, we, we lived in Zambia for six years um, and were able to train, you know, as you say, a number of the Bright Out partners. And I just want to pick probably a couple of them to talk about. In a place called Chaba, there's a bunch of brothers who put together a group of churches, all, all different denominations, and they wanted to help orphans. And when we started with these brothers, uh, Peter and Judas, the main two, and there's Brown as well, but and they had about 240 orphans, and it was costing around about, 18,000 US dollars a year to put all of these orphans into school that we were paying for. And through a lot of discussions with the brothers and also other Bright Oak partners, we, we kind of realized that it's kind of a good thing. 
and some of these kids were getting to school. But there's also other issues because many other children and families weren't going to school. So there was jealousy issues. Uh, there was a raft of things where uh, some of these, the, the parents weren't even interested in the, the kids at school because they weren't paying for it. So so who cares? So in the discussions that we had, basically came around to, well, surely the best thing to do is to empower local families to be able to send their own kids to school and also look after the orphans, which is a typical African model before the West came and decided to run orphanages and, and those sorts of things. So so that that's one of the things that happened. So if you look at example of Chaba, it's been about uh, 11 years now since these guys, we trained them for the first time. So they went back to their village and they've been training around about 75 people each year in maize farming, rice farming, cassava growing. And now they've trained about 350 people. And as we've, we keep saying that uh, normal traditional farming yields are about one tonne per hectare. So across the board, the average now for that community is about seven tonne per hectare, which is massive. It's a big difference. It's just huge. And you think about the impact of that because it costs us about, I think it's 1500 US dollars a year now to train another 75 people. As opposed to 18,000 a year. As opposed to 18,000. And 350 families on average is probably six kids to 10 kids in each of these families because they have big families. So instead of 180 kids going, or 240 kids, sorry, going to school for $18,000, you've got thousands of kids going to school and it's costing us $1,500 a year. So you want to talk about sustainability and the fact that it's them that's done it. Well, they don't actually need us there anymore. In fact, they've even set up a business there trading rice where they can earn almost enough income to fund their own uh, trainings every year so they don't need us at all. Well, surely that's got to be the greatest model because I'm pretty keen to retire. Well, it is. And, you know, if, if you look at um, the Bright Hope World website and, and on it we show our partners and, you know, we categorise them, those that are, you know, we're, we're funding at the moment. And I think somewhere around 25% of the partners that we are still actively involved with, uh, we class as self-sustaining. We are, like you said, they don't actually need us, or, or at least financially anymore, which is a fantastic uh, outcome. And, you know, I guess a big, uh, a substantial number of those, it is because of Foundation for Farming, that they're, they're away. They can do their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you talk to some of those people in, in that village in Chaba, and, you know, Peter will say that 10, 15 years ago, the cry of the village was hunger. And it's not that many years ago, about three years ago, they wrote us a letter. And he said, you know, we, we used to talk about hunger, but now we don't talk about hunger anymore. Hunger is no more in this village, which is which is pretty massive. It's a pretty good outcome. Yeah, it's amazing. And and just seeing them look after all of their people. You know, if, if you want to drill it down to a specific story, because we like to interview some of these these people. There was a lady there, Cecilia. And before Foundation Farming, she had 10 of her own children. She had two orphans. And then her husband died. And she was only eating one meal about every two to three days. And one of these kids were going to school on one of the sponsorship programs. So she got training foundations for farming. Two years later, her family was eating two meals a day. All of her children were going to school and one of them was going to a college institution. And that's all from her. And you, you, when you sit in that little hut and you see the joy on her face because of what she's done and the fact that she doesn't need us, that's great. What better outcome could there be? As we, you know, sitting here today, despite the fact that the sun is shining, we are, of course, mindful of the fact that 
Uh, coronavirus COVID-19 is really ravaging the world at the moment. Uh, you know, we've seen some of the, the things that we've done, some of the businesses we've helped partners set up, microloans programs, all really coming under huge stress and strain uh, and, and potentially have fallen over. You know, when the dust settles, we will need to grapple with that. How does Foundations for Farming work in times like this? Well, just this week, I was uh, able to talk with Doris and Kausu, who's another partner in Zambia who lives in a town called Ndola. And again, she and her late father, Lemon, who passed about three years ago, but they were very keen to help out a lot of the orphans in the community and even um, some of the people that go to their local church. So Doris had, had wandered down the street sometimes and saw a lot of people that were uh, what she called loafing about. Uh, they were drinking alcohol and impregnating each other, as she put it. It's a, it's a nice way to put it. Yeah, maybe not, but anyway. So, and she said, you know, these people need help. So she started training these people in Foundations for Farming, and they have their own uh, bit of land that they'd get these people to come and in every once a week, they would turn up for training and they'd been shown what to do. They'd have a little plot of land that they could practice these these things. And as I was talking to Doris last week, I mean, I, it, it is a difficult time with coronavirus. But she was, I was just amazed at how, I guess, trusting she is in the situation that almost like it, it doesn't matter, but I'm still going to carry on. So she said to me, you know, people are dying of coronavirus. It's infecting people. We know that. But what are we to do? So we put on our masks, we rub hand sanitizer on our hand, and we continue to train people because I'm not going to let them die hungry. That's what she said. And then she sent me some photos, and these orphans that she's looking after, because they're not in school, she's able to get them to come and help with the farming. So this, in half a hectare, they produced 70 bags of maize, which is about six, six and a half tonne, per hectare equivalent. But the joy on their faces is, is quite incredible because she knows that those kids are going to eat meals, you know, through this virus. And that's that's the thing. So coronavirus is there, sure, but it's not stopping people who uh, have their land and can farm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what we're starting to get the impression is, is, is news comes in from around the world that those that have implemented foundations for farming, they're, you know, maybe they can't, take stuff to the market, maybe they you know, certainly can't go to supermarkets or the like, but those who are effectively um, tending kitchen gardens at their homes are actually weathering the storm relatively well, you know, with the sort of low intensity um, foundations for farming training. Um, do you think this is something we should be doing a lot more of around the world? I mean, it's, it's mainly been in Africa and particularly southern and eastern Africa, are there other parts of the world that you think could benefit from this kind of input? Yeah, absolutely. And because it's a principle-based uh, training um, farming, then these principles can be transferred anywhere. And for sure, there's a lot of things that are going to be different in each place. And that's why you need to go and, and learn about what crops they grow and and how they grow them and what's going to work in each circumstance. And even... Like some places like Zambia, land is not a problem. There's a lot of land for people to use. And other places like Rwanda, um, there's very little land. So you've got to um, change the training to, to deal with what actually they have. Because it's all about being faithful with what you have, not what you haven't got. So even even this morning I received an email from a, a man in, in, in India who's very keen 
to be uh, doing this training. So because he sees it, it's going to have a massive impact for those people and for the things that they're going to do. So, yeah, we're very keen to, to see it rolled out as many places as possible, but we'll see how that goes in the next while. Who would have thought in this age of technology and strategy and all the rest of it that what would potentially make the, the real difference in alleviating poverty is just mulch? And, and tillage and weeding, you know, that it all, it all comes down to the great, you know, basics. I don't know, I've heard both of you say, you know, at the, at the end of the day, God is a farmer and, you know, this, there's, there's something very instinctive, very, very natural and human about doing the sort of stuff that you guys do. Yeah, well, God, he made the first garden, didn't he? So yes, he did. He probably knows quite a bit about it. Yeah. And we can learn, and that's what Brian O'Dereff did. So it's amazing just to see that multiplication of, of things going out throughout the world because of one guy's faithfulness. Jerry and John, thank you so much for sharing some of these uh, stories with us. We, um, we really appreciate it. It's, it's lovely to be here and hear what you have to say about Foundations for Farming. It's also nice to hear some positive stories. It feels like in the world uh, at the moment, there's a lot of... Uh, grim things happening, but it's it's wonderful to know in, in these places, uh, people are growing stuff, they're providing for their families and can feel justifiably proud of you know what they've achieved. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, we will uh, leave it there. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us here on It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions for things you would like us to talk about in the future, please do email us at podcast at brighthopeworld.com. But for now, thank you, Jerry and John. Thank you. Thanks, Fraser. Uh, We will catch you next time on It Ain't That Simple, Mate.